0: I think one of the things that kids hate the most and adults are no better is to get blamed for something that you didn't do I was reflecting back on my days of being in elementary school and then my elementary teacher walked in and I don't know if that's a sign of something or not but can you imagine on Palm Sunday Jesus intentionally went in to Jerusalem and he knew why he was coming he was coming to give up his life to save everybody who put their faith and trust in him He knew that in the process that he was going to be blamed for everything he didn't do that somebody else did. He knew that he was coming to a point where he was going to be on a cross paying for everyone else's sins and God was going to look at him and see a murderer, a rapist, a child molester. God was going to look at Jesus and see a gossiper and a liar and somebody full of pride. God was going to look at him and see somebody who put something or somebody first other than God himself. God was going to look at his own son and see a thief, a follower of Satan, or an atheist, an adulterer, somebody who covets other things that belong to other people, and I could go on and on and on. And so it was at that time when God looked at Jesus and saw those things, he had to look away and abandon Jesus because God being a holy God could not look upon sin. Jesus intentionally rode into town on Palm Sunday to take the blame for everything you ever did that disproved God and everything I ever did. So we come today to worship our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. With nothing else said this morning, and we have lots more to say, that in itself would be enough to reflect upon uh, that we ought to give our very best worship today to Jesus Christ. So as Paula plays and we reflect and prepare our hearts to worship today, let's do so in mind. Jesus took it all upon himself, and it wasn't an easy thing he did. It was very, very painful to him and to his heavenly Father. Um, Situation uh, every spring, and Lord, we just pray that people will give very, very generously in the coming weeks to this wonderful work. And we thank you for the, especially today, we thank you for the work of Zachary and his family among young people and perhaps they're even now preparing for Adventure Camp this summer. So Lord just bless them and all their efforts and Lord we just want to see many many people come to know you and in this situation young people come to know you through the work that they do. In your name we pray.
1: Amen. This the power of the cross Christ became sin for us He took the blame, he bore the wrath, we stand forgiven at the cross.
0: says, you should have joy in your heart if you've had a good day, right? Or does it say, you should have joy in your heart if the flowers are blooming today? Or you should have joy in your heart if you had lots of company this week? being facetious so I could go on and on, the Bible says you should have joy in your heart when? Always. Christians should have joy in their heart in all circumstances, no matter what you're going through, every day of the week. The reason why is what we're celebrating today, that Jesus intentionally came to give up his life and that he promised, I'm coming back to get all who put their faith in me and you'll be with me forever in paradise. And so. Along with our offering today, I'd like to pray that we would also give to him an attitude of joy, contentment, that things are well with our soul because of what he's done for us. Let's pray. Our Father, as we give our offering to you, we also do offer to you our hearts. Lord, please help us to be grateful people, people that have joy in all circumstances because we know what we have, what Jesus has done for us, and the promise that he will keep that he will come and get us one day and that we'll be with him in paradise forever. So Lord, we pray that you would help us to this end in the name of Jesus Christ, our
1: Savior, amen. As we continue to worship this morning and as we're preparing our hearts and minds and souls for the, for the fact that we remember that Jesus Christ died for our sins and it's him dying on the cross and... You know, I I was reading through, I like to read through the hymns before we sing them, um, just because a lot of times, like I've said before, it becomes second nature sometimes. Um, But as, as, uh, you know, the fact of the matter is, we can sing about the truth of God's Word all day long, but until it actually means something to us, it's really meaningless. Um, And in verse 4, where it says, Love so amazing, so divine. It demands my soul, my life, my all. And the fact that we worship and serve this Jesus Christ who died on the cross for our sins, it does demand all of us, right? It demands everything that we have and everything that we say and everything that we do. And so let us reflect on that as we're preparing our heart for the word of God being preached this morning. Stand with me. And as we're just singing about the cross and everything that he's done, and we just say thank you to Jesus for taking our burden." Amen. You may be seated.
0: Jason called last evening, and he said, "Randy, I'm really not feeling very well." And I said, "Well, that's too bad. I'll pray for you." We talked for a few minutes, and he said, "Well, yeah, I'm really not feeling well. What are you going to do about it?" I said, "I'll tell you what. I'll stay up an extra hour tonight and pray for you." And I did. And came the day. And he asked if I'd at least read the scripture for today. So I will. We're going to be in Mark 15, verses 16 to 47. A lengthy passage, but one that we don't want to cut off. Mark 15, 16 to 47. The soldiers took him away into the palace, that is, the praetorium, and they called together the whole Roman cohort. They dressed him up in purple, and after twisting a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to acclaim him, Hail, King of the Jews! They kept beating his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling and bowing before them. After they mocked him, they took a purple robe off of him and put his own garments on him, and they led him out to crucify him. They pressed into service a passerby coming from the country, Simon of Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. Then they brought him to the place Golgotha, which translated place of a skull. They tried to give him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided up his garments among themselves, casting lots for them to decide what each man should take. It was the third hour when they crucified him. The inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. They crucified two robbers with him, one on his right and one on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And he was numbered with transgressors. Those passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads and saying, Ha, you who were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes, were mocking him among themselves and saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. Let this Christ, the King of Israel, now come down from the cross so that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also, insulting him. And when the sixth hour came, darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour. At the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, lama Tanai which is translated, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of the bystanders heard it, they began saying, Behold, he's calling for Elijah. Someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed, and gave him a drink, saying, Let's see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the veil of the temple was torn in two from top, to bottom. When the centurion, who was standing right in front of him, saw the way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the Son of God. There were also some women looking on from a distance. Among those were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the Less, and Joseph and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they used to follow him and minister to him. There were many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. When evening had already come, because it was the preparation day, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea came, a prominent member of the council, who himself was waiting for the kingdom of God, and he gathered up courage and went in before Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate wondered if he was dead by this time, and summoning the centurion, He questioned him as to whether he was already dead. And ascertaining this from the centurion, he granted the body to Joseph. Joseph bought a linen cloth, took him down and wrapped him in the linen cloth and laid him in a tomb which he had hewn out in the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. And Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, were looking on to see where he was laid.
2: The song we just read started off the mysteries of the cross, I cannot comprehend. To be quite honest with you, this week as I was preparing for the sermon and our time here in the Word today, that's kind of where I found myself. Thinking about the cross and concentrating on the cross of Jesus Christ, Has to be one of the greatest mysteries of my life, of our existence, of history. To be quite honest with you, the original title of the sermon when I started earlier this week was random thoughts about the cross. Because as I read it, I just found myself kind of overcome with just different thoughts that didn't seem to have any kind of uh, line of thought within them. It was just random and scattered everywhere. But as we work through the week, I think I've at least brought it down to this one idea. The cross is our king's gift to us the king's greatest gift to us. And so as we sit here thinking about the cross today, what it means and what God has done for us, what the king has given to us, I'd like for us to just to to at least try to digest what took place on that day with that thought in mind. This is our king's gift to us. I find it difficult sometimes when approaching the cross. I want to us to understand exactly what happened there. Um, not in any kind of way belittling or making light of the pain and the suffering that Christ went through. But also don't want to get morbid in the, into the, all the scientific study of just how horrific it is and, and bring ourselves with guilt ridden kind of flagellation of ourselves because of how bad it was and, and not miss the, the significance of what the king had done for us. That we can get kind of over into this really morbid crazy side and miss the, the love aspect of it. We can miss the grace of it. We can miss the God's plan of it. And we can miss the king's giftedness to us. And so as we think about this, the first thing I'd like for you to realize is that the king's gift, it's, it's a love gift. It really is a gift of love to us. That it is love that drove Jesus to the cross. It is a fact. Jesus was not the first person and he was not the last person to ever be crucified. The Romans used crucifixion. For a long time and they would crucify hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and thousands of people on crosses it was uh, it was a special execution designed not to really execute so much as to prolong death it wasn't the it wasn't the execution that the romans wanted to get so much to but the agony the long suffering of death um, that the cross would bring Uh, You can see within the passage we read that that Pilate's kind of surprised that it sounds like Jesus has died so quickly in a mere six hours or so on the cross that was unheard of that people would sometimes last for days and days and days in this lingering state of constant torment as they're simply actually suffocating to death under the weight of their own body because they can't breathe from the way their body is contorted and put upon the cross. What makes Jesus's crucifixion special why you and I would gladly wear crosses today why crosses are, are for Christians a, a symbol of, of great affection it's because Jesus is the only crucifixion that ever was crucified out of love not punishment or hate that Jesus crucifixion is an act of love it's the king's gift. It's a love gift. And it is love demonstrated to you and I. It is the God showing us he loves us. Love demonstrated. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus, God, said, I love you. It's always interesting in the, in, I can remember back in the day when I used to be in that age where dating was part of my life, you know, and, and it was, you know, now that I'm married, that's gone and thankfully I'm secure in the relationship I have because those dating days are so, so froth with, with, you know, Uncertainty in a lot of ways, and you start dating someone, and you get there that you know you go on one date, or two dates, or three dates, and you're, you're kind of getting to know each other. And if the relationship continues to grow, then you start to who's gonna say it first? Who's gonna be the one to, to say it first? Actually, just so you know, Shelly did, kind of. I got a letter from her after having visited in September. We would visited each other, or she'd actually visited me in August. I got the letter in September, so she wasn't really quick about it, but eventually the, the letter showed up a month or so later. And at the end of it, she told me how she'd missed me and enjoyed the time we'd spent together and the talk we'd had, and there it was. Love ya, Shelley. And that wasn't I love you but it was love you and that was enough for me that's kind of was you know good enough for me it was probably more than she meant but I took it to heart she went first and then all I had to do was say well guess what love you too when we see that God loved us so much we need to remind ourselves God went first he demonstrated his love towards us and while we were yet sinners Christ died for us and all he we have to do is say, I love you too. The, the king's gift is a gift of love, and it's a secure gift of love. It is love secure. Romans eight, thirty five and thirty nine. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril of sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither height, neither death, nor life, nor... For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. A love so secure, we never have to worry about it. We've all experienced first loves. We know what it is like to have our hearts broken in those first romances we have with other people, when we've committed to each other verbally, we're going to love each other forever and ever and ever and ever. And then three weeks later, we found forever came to an end. We know how that sting of proclaimed love that doesn't last, how that hurts us. But we never have to worry about our heart being broken from God. That God will always love us. That when God says forever and ever and ever and ever, he actually means forever and ever and ever and ever and ever ever in eternity. The fact of the matter is one of the things I've been thinking about quite a bit over the last several days or several weeks is the idea of unconditional love is probably one of the most mind-blowing thoughts that I ever have. To be quite honest with you, I think it's easier to understand Trinity, how there's three persons in one, than there is to understand what unconditional love is all about. That we can't do anything to make God love us more, and we can't do anything to make God love us less. I love that saying, I just don't understand it, because it's not the world I live in. It's not even the love I really give to other people. That, that my love, although I want it to be unconditional, is very far from it in so many cases. That I find myself giving and withholding love based on how people perform or don't perform or live up to my standards or don't live up to my standards. And then when I find myself facing the cross and realizing that I have yet fallen, I have yet failed again, I have sinned one more time, and I come for Jesus again, confessing that and saying, Lord, thank you for the forgiveness you gave me at the cross. Reapply it to my life again. I confess that. Cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I find within myself that nagging, how can you still love me the same? I don't understand how that doesn't affect it. But we just have to trust in faith that Jesus said this is secure, it might be easier to say that Jesus' love is quite literally nailed down. Finally, the king's gift is a love gift that is a complete love or love complete. Verse 38 of the passage that we read said, and the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. One of those events that happen at the crucifixion that we kind of know about, but because it's removed from Golgotha, because it's not there at the cross itself, it sometimes doesn't get, I think, the attention that maybe it should get. It's, It's an amazing thought. It's an amazing event. It's a miracle among miracles that in the temple there's this giant curtain that separated the Holy of Holies where God's presence was and the people were on the other side and, and no one went into the presence of God. And then at the death of Jesus, that curtain rips from the top to the bottom, from God's end to man's end. It doesn't rip up, it rips down. And what I think it shows us is that the love of God, the act of God, the plan of God was now complete. John 19.30 says this. Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. That's another version of what happens at the cross. And Jesus said, what I came to do is finished. It is complete. I have completed God's plan. Hebrews 9.12 says, and, though, and, though, <clears throat> and not through the blood and goats and calves, but through his own blood, he entered the holy place once for all, having attained eternal redemption. That the, what Jesus did on the cross was a once for all sacrifice. It was love complete. It was the completion of God's love. There's nothing more is needed for what Christ has done. We can't do anything. We don't need to do anything. We shouldn't try to do anything to add to what Jesus did on the cross. It is sufficient. It is complete for all of us. It is love complete. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also died for sins once for all the just for the unjust so that he might bring us to God having been put to death in the flesh but made alive in the spirit the veil represented separation between man and God that separation is now gone we can now enter be brought into God's presence having put to death he made it so that he could bring us to God love complete So the gift of our king is, first of all, probably the most important thing. The one thing that we need to see more than anything is the love of God when we look at the cross. But it's also a free gift. It's a love gift, but it's a free gift. Romans 6, 23 says this, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That this was a free gift. One of our elders recently saw a sign at a local church that said, free tickets to heaven inside. We sometimes talk about these things and he was just kind of, we muse about these things and not in any kind of harsh kind of way. But he was just kind of pointing out how he had a little exception with that statement because he said, you know what, those tickets really weren't free. And so what I'd like for us to consider today is two different kinds of free, or at least two different ideas behind the word free. First, we can say free, and it means without cost. If we say something is free, it means you don't have to pay anything for it. There's no cost to it. The love gift of God is not without cost. Acts 20.28 says this, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, the shepherd of the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Our entrance into heaven is not free in the sense that it is without cost. Jesus paid the cost for our entrance into heaven. It may be the most expensive entrance ever paid that God himself could kills sacrifices his own son to pay a penalty that we could not pay that the creator of heaven and earth dies in our place that the sinless one becomes sin for us that the one who knew no sin bore all the blame got blamed for everything that we did and he never did it is certainly not free without cost It is with high cost that God purchased us. Precious blood of our Savior was the purchase. And so there's a second kind of free that I'd like for us to consider. And that is unearned and free. Like sometimes you can give someone something to them freely but that they haven't earned it. Kind of like my mom one time she gave me a car right and, uh, but because I don't know, I never understood why this is somebody can explain to me why this is one day but because to make it easier, I actually bought it for a dollar right, it makes the transfer go better or something if you do that now, the fact is I didn't earn the car I had to work more than an hour for the dollar to give her It's a small token for what she gave to me. She gave me a free gift, one that I didn't earn equivalent to. That's the kind of free that we're given. That God gives us something that we can't earn. We haven't earned. We won't be able to earn. It was a high price to him, and it is freely given unearned to us. It's a word we use. Grace undeserved unearned unmerited favor Ephesians 2.8 for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God not as the result of works so that no one may boast the gift of God to us was not free in that it had no cost it was free in that it was unmerited unearned and given to us and uh, again the gift of God I almost changed this this morning it's a reproductive gift I finished some of these sermon ideas while still under the influence of whatever I'm under the influence of this morning and so when I look down at this this morning it's a reproductive gift maybe I could have said that better but actually I stuck with it because the love that God gives to us is supposed to reproduce. When I think about the the parable of the sower and the seeds, you remember that parable, right? There's the ones who fall on, on the hard ground and the birds take it away and then there's the thorny ground and the rocky ground and finally the one in those four different categories, the fruitful because they produce more fruit they reproduce and I've shared with you and if I haven't shared with you I will that of those four different types of soil I believe the only the fourth one the one that bears fruit represents real salvation real conversion to something new that it's one of the four and it's by the reproduction of other fruit the bearing of fruit that we are seen to be really transformed by the Holy Spirit. And so the love of God, the gift of God, is supposed to be a reproductive, reproducing gift, not one that is just for us. We just have to remember that Jesus is our example. Jesus' sacrifice this week, on this day at the cross, is an example for you and I. John 13, 15 says this, For I gave you an example that you also do as I did to you. This is Jesus at the Last Supper washing washing the disciples' feet, saying, I am your example. John 15, 9 says, Just as the Father loved me, I also loved you. Abide in my love. And then verse 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. In that series in John 15, what Jesus said is, the Father loved me, and so I loved you the way the Father loved me. Now, I want you to go love others as I loved you as the Father loved me. See the reproduction there? Father loved Jesus, Jesus loved disciples, now disciples will love others. It keeps reproducing down the way. Jesus is our example of that. That this love of God, this gift of God, is supposed to be a reproductive gift. That we start loving others in the same way that God loved us. Which leads us to a bit of a conflict, a bit of a quandary. Because I find it interesting that we follow a person as our example, as our master as our Lord and we see him going to these great lengths of the cross to love others and many believe as his followers we may never or will never end up at a cross ourselves, or should never end up at our own cross some understand that we're called to bear crosses, but I think maybe we just misunderstand what it means to bear a cross. Some think people think bearing crosses is is that difficult person in our life, that difficult colleague that we have, that difficult, difficult co-worker, or that difficult situation we're in, that hard experience we're having, that that uh, that. Turmoil that's in our life. I'd just like to remind us that God uses difficult people and difficult circumstances to transform us into the image of God. And those difficult people and difficult situations are not the crosses we're called to bear. They might bring us to the cross that we're called to bear, but they're not the actual cross. Because cross bearing in our day is dying to ourself. And that the people that we find difficult and the situations we find difficult lead us to a place where we have to die to ourselves. That's cross-bearing in our day. I had someone just give me this recently, trying to define what it means to die to ourself. I remind you what Mark said in, in chapter 8, verse 34. And he summoned the crowd with his disciples, and he said to them, if anyone wishes to come after me, that is, if anyone wants to be my follower, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That is, Jesus' followers, we must cross bear too. And I believe that's dying to ourself. So what does that look like? Here's some ideas. When your good is, when your good is evil spoken of, when your wishes are crossed, your advice disregarded, your opinions ridiculed, and you refuse to let anger rise in your heart or even defend yourself, but take it all in patient, loving silence, that is to self. When you lovingly and patiently bear any disorder, any irregularity, any unpunctuality, any annoyance, When you stand face to face with waste, silly extravagance, spiritual insensibility, and endure it as Jesus did, that is dying to self. When you are content with any food, any offering, any climate, any society, any clothing, any interrogation, any interruption by the will of God, that is dying to self. When you never care to refer to yourself in conversation or to defend your own beliefs, your own good works, or itch for commendation. When you can truly love to be unknown, that is dying to self. When you can see your brother prosper and have his needs met and can honestly rejoice with him in spirit and feel no envy nor question God while your own needs are far greater and in more desperate circumstances, that is dying to self when you see for correction or reproof from one, less of, one of less stature than yourself and can humbly submit inwardly as well as outwardly finding no rebellion, retaliation self, self-sympathy self-defense self-vindication, self-justification resentment, bitterness unforgiveness in heart that is dying to self I guess the best way to sum that up is when it comes to cross bearing when we look at our lives when we think about reproducing the love that God has shown to us what do we have to sacrifice to be like Jesus what part of me needs to die so that I can be like Jesus who went to the cross in my place who certainly died to himself when I think about the cross and when I think about what Jesus asked me to do, the one line, the reason I ask for that song to be sung, a love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. May I die and die and die to myself so that I can spread the gift of God's love to others around the world and finally it's a responsive gift this is maybe the most often challenging part of this gift it's a gift of responsibility and responsiveness that we can't just kind of ignore it there's two events that take place that I think highlight this first in verse 39 when the centurion was standing right in front of him saw that that the way he breathed his laugh he said truly this man was the son of God verse 43 Joseph of Arimathea came a prominent member of the council who himself was waiting for the kingdom of God he gathered up courage and he went before Pilate and he asked for the body of Jesus both these men who respond to what they see happen on the cross that day they knew what they were saying it doesn't tell us much about the centurion many people will debate whether this was a statement of faith or not a statement of faith that he became a follower of Jesus or didn't become a follower of Jesus that day I know this that for a Roman to proclaim Jesus was the son of God is a very bold statement if he said that out loud he was playing with his life Joseph Marathea knew the same thing he had great to lose he was a prominent member of the council and he would kind of on on a couple of different occasions tried to stand up for Jesus in a kind of sideline kind of way without really sticking his neck out there and finally he has to get his guts up his courage up and lay it all on the line for Jesus and go ask for his body He had to respond to what he saw. Both these men knew what I was talking about when they said a love so amazing, so divine demands my soul, my life, my all. I will lay it all on the line and respond to the gift of God. Hold nothing back. The question is, I guess, what does that love demand of you? how shall we respond? Can we remember just how much God loves us? He demonstrated it first. It's a secure love that is nailed down and it's a complete love. Will we boldly tell him and tell others, I love him too. I love Jesus. Acts 1.8 says you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and innermost parts of the world. All you have to do is go and say, hey, Jesus loved me. He showed it and demonstrated it on the cross. And I love him. Will we respond by that free gift with great living a life of gratitude, realizing that it was a, a gift of great price? but it was given to us in an unmerited condition that we didn't deserve it and we will live our life in gratitude giving thanks every day for the gift of God and we will live a life following Jesus' example as the Father loved Jesus as Jesus loved his disciples will we now go love others in self-denying ways taking up crosses where we have to and putting ourselves to death so that we can love others with the love of God? Or will we try to be quiet about it? Or will we stand up and boldly proclaim the love of God to ourselves and to others? It is an amazing thing, incomprehensible. One that should be proclaimed around the world. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.